up, up, and away. Here we go. Time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Got our intern Harrison here as well. It's going to be a good one. And Ira, I got to tell you, didn't bother me that it was exhibition. Didn't bother me that there was no fans in the, in the crowd. Didn't bother me that I had never heard of the, the pitcher the Yankees used on Saturday night. But man, was I glad to see baseball back. It was just phenomenal. Yeah, it was great. I mean, when Francisco Lindor against the Cleveland-Pittsburgh uh, game, when he made a play across the, the middle, when he just with his glove and just it was a trying to turn a double de- play without without transferring the ball. Just, I was like, screamed. I'm like, what a play. <laughs> but it was great. I mean, it was, and then you're seeing from the Dodgers and the Yankees, this is what I think the season's going to be. Like, 10 nothing leads. Forget about the worrying about the closer for the Dodgers. They're going to need Jansen the rest of the whole year. It's going to kill teams. But uh, it was great to have baseball back. I loved it. It came out on Saturday. They really, not that much of that buildup. It's not like you're like, wait, this is real baseball playing. I didn't even know it was happening. And my aunt in New York, who's like 60 <laughs> years old, texted me, hey, you're going to watch the Yankee game tonight. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then, of course, it was on MLB Network. So we, we lucked out. Um, so let's Well, first and foremost, uh, Howard Beck's going to be coming on. We've had Howard Beck on this show before, and he'll join us right about uh, 7.50. Yeah, talking about the NBA. He's Bleacher Report writer. And with the NBA getting started, got some, he's gonna, we're going to ask him a lot of heat questions because someone like me is he might make a run, and I want to talk about the heat. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's get into it. A lot to talk about tonight. We have a new number one in the world in golf. I got a great story. So in 2016 at the U.S. Open at Oakmont, it was like a Friday afternoon, and you know, I don't, I never leave golf tournaments early. Like if I'm, <laughs> I'm staying to the end, and it was like he was playing was delayed, and he was coming up around like eight o'clock at night. It was like getting dusk, dark, or whatever, and I'm standing there like I want to see this John Rom. He's 20 years old from Arizona State, Spanish golfer. I want to see him play. And I'm standing there at the green on 18, on, I think it was nine. I think that for some reason it was either nine. He's coming up and there was this very attractive woman that was standing there too, just us two standing there. Mm. And I go to her and we're just talking and I go, I go, why are you watching this? And he goes, well, John Rahm is my boyfriend. <laughs> and then there's just quiet, really nothing to talk. And then she looks at me, she goes, I got something to tell you. And I'm like, oh, what are you gonna tell me? He goes, he's gonna be the number one player in the world someday. Crazy. So, and her name is uh, Kelly Cahill. She was a famous Instagram star now, but Kelly was right then. And, and then I heard an interview with Rom where he said, I've been telling everyone from this, I've been 12 years old, I'm gonna be number one in the world. <laughs> so it's not a surprise that I'm number one. Um, and it's the first Spanish golfer since Seve Ballesteros. And you know, Sergio Garcia has never been number one. And it was like one of these things this year, he's been 12 out of the top, t- and 20 tournaments, 12 of them he's been in the top 10, but he's only had one win. And the PGA Tour, he doesn't have a lot of wins, only like three, three mm-hmm. wins before this on the tour, six wins on the European tour, but in the in the majors, the Masters 2018 is fourth, 2019 ninth, 2018 PGA Championship fourth, and the 2019 was open third. So it's weird that then these players become number one without you expect winning more and more tournaments. Yeah. But uh, he took it from Rory, and the boy Rom looks like a 25 years old set might hold it for a while. Yeah, no, he absolutely might. But we do have a, a handful of good golfers at the top. You should track down Kelly Kale though on social media and think, remember telling me this? <laughs> I think that'd be pretty cool. Um, yeah, he should be able to hold on to this for quite a while. I didn't realize, Ira, because I'm a little younger, how good Seve Ballesteros was because they put his numbers up compared to Rom. He was a really good golfer. I think he had about 60 wins by the time he was 30, which yes. is and phenomenal. Then, right, in Europe and in America. Yeah. And he was a great at the Ryder Cup. And that's what made him. Of course, he, unfortunately, he passed away. It would have been great to to have him here but what's an, it was inspiration for Rom and Spanish golf and, and Rom has that uh, enthusiasm and that fire that Seve had that Sergio has and uh, so it was great I mean it was, look it was uh, it was one of the, it was a, I love the memorial I thought it was of all the 
tournaments, it really, I think, ranks. You have the four majors and then the players' championship and the tour championship. And then I think the Memorial because it's Jack's tournament. He's there. He runs the tournament. I think that's why it's like to me like the seventh biggest tournament. And Have you been to the course? Because it looks fifth, I'm it's never, fantastic. I've not been there. I've never been there. You're going to have to make it one day. But I thought this year to put um, Rory, uh, Tiger, and Brooks together on that Thursday, I was just pumped and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching it on, first of all, of course, it should all be on Golf Channel. I don't understand why Tiger doesn't have his own channel. They should just pay-per-view. I don't know why there's everything. Just show me Tiger. I don't need anything else. I don't want to use my computer all the time. But I was still ready for it. At least they got their act together in terms of watching it. But it was, I mean, between Tiger, Brooks, and Rory, that's 23 majors in the, in the first yeah. thing. And, uh, but it was like, and it was so funny, they both, all three of them didn't play well that first day. Yeah. It was like, and the par 16 was like a par three, I mean, the, the 16th hole, Brooks, Rory, and Tiger all, what's the chance of all bogeying? Didn't even, not only bogeying, didn't even hit on the green, mm-hmm. all three of them on that hole. Um, and that first day, we're just gonna run through, the first day, uh, Ricky Fowler shooting at 81, uh, D, uh, Dustin Johnson at 80, on a day that Tony Finau shot at 66. So if DJ was out there and Fowler with Finau, they had 14 strokes behind. <laughs> <laughs> on an 18 hole, it's, it's almost a stroke a hole. Mm-hmm. It was just un- how poorly they so play. many of the big names. You know, this was billed as a master, or is billed as like a major, and performance-wise, it was just not the guys we thought it was going to be. Right, right, right. And then I think on Friday, um, that's where they they teed off early, and the whole thing on Friday, and a lot of criticism about how. The Golf Channel handled this, how everybody handled this, is that there were tons of bets on does Tiger make the cut. So there was all there's like huge amount of bets on this. And the cut line when Tiger finished, he he finished, he had a he had a birdie on he was a, he made it, he was at plus five. He came to they did they started at nine and then ten and then came back to one. The first hole he does a double bogey. So he's at plus five and they think the the cut lines he has to get to plus two to make the cut. Mm-hmm. But then they go, Oh, the cut could go to one. And then he finishes, he doesn't birdie, he parred nine. So then he's still stuck at plus three. Brooks is at plus three. So then the whole day I'm watching the rest of it. They're saying, well, it's going to be at plus one. They have no chance. Tiger's on its way back to Florida. But then you saw that the course got difficult in the afternoon. And to me, that was like everyone was watching is, does Tiger make it? And I even had friends texting me go, what's the cut going to be? What's the cut going to be? It's, it's the top 65 in ties. And so there was this whole issue about what's going to happen. And they really didn't give a good idea. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, so what? The cut could be one. It could be two. But it really mattered to people. And also people like Tiger fans and whether he's going to make the cut. But actually, right, you know, it was amazing the stars that missed the cut. Daniel Berger with a plus four. Webb Simpson, who won the Heritage, plus six. Dustin Johnson, of course, missed it. Uh, and missed it. And then Bryson DeChambeau, who we talked about last week. You know, this great. So he's at plus. People were loving that. He's at plus one on the 15th. And this is like 10 cup of, of, mm-hmm. of going. I mean, he was. So he shot a 10. And it was like, it wasn't like one of those things where he just kept making the same mistake, hitting it. And then he goes and the ball was underneath a fence. So he hit the shot and they ruled it out of bounds. He had another shot. They ruled it out of bounds. And then he's complaining that the first one is out of bounds. The rule official comes over. He doesn't like that ruling. He goes, I want another ruling. I'm texting him. Like, this is a half an hour. <laughs> and it was Tiger or any other golfer. They'd be yelling. Like, you mm-hmm. can't just stop the course. So he wants another ruling. And, and he's like, then they bring another expert in. And the whole thing was a disaster. And it was like, so he shot a 10 and he missed the cut. But by him making, missing the cut and Max Homa missing the cut, it actually put Tiger and Brooks in, but no one made a big deal back then. It's like Tiger just made the cut. It's all you guys that bet on Tiger to make the cut just made a lot of money. That type of thing. So it was weird about what happened. Uh, I will say I can't recall ever seeing Quint Bogey uh, on the top of the. You know, and they're like, shooting for Quint Bogey was what the TV screen said. You don't see that every day. You're listening to Iron Sports on the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Um, so let's keep going because, like you said, this was uh, you had you had said this is a bad tournament for Palm Beach County golfers. They didn't look good, and just all all around some of these 
these top golfers just didn't have their good stuff. Right, and then you got excited because Tony Finau, so then you go into Saturday and Tony Finau and Ryan Palmer at nine under. And Finau is 30 years old from Salt Lake City. He's 6'4", 19th in the world. He's been huge in majors. He's in top 10 in the five of the last eight majors, but really nothing else. He's the only one one tournament, the Puerto Rican Open. Mm-hmm. It's like, here's his coming out party. This is Tony Finau. Everybody remembers from the Masters in the par three where he like twisted his ankle and thought it was broken, yep. but then he ended up playing. He was playing at the final group with uh, Molinari and Woods last year in the Masters when Woods won. So he's been involved in this, but just hasn't won tournaments. And then you saw today, or yesterday, exactly what, what the last two days, what happened. I mean, he's going down there, um, rolling along. There was a point at 11, at, at, at 10, Finau made a 50-foot putt, made him, he was at 11 under, Rom at 8, Palmer 8. And then at 11, he went up to 12 under. So he had a four-stroke lead on Saturday. Four strokes, suddenly, it just all went away. Mm-hmm. I mean, he went from four, a four up being four down. <laughs> so it was crazy where he was double bogeying, bogeying. Palmer was whatever. And then it left you come into Sunday and Rom now has this Rom, Rom finished 13 through 16, made four birdies to take the four stroke lead. And that was, I mean, for Finau, just it's, it was sitting there easy on, on Saturday and the blow it was crazy. Well, let's go into Sunday. And this was one where halfway through Sunday, I stopped watching because Rom was just lighting it up. He did have a little bit of recourse there, but it, it was pretty much Rom in the driver's seat. For, he got up. He, this one, unlike, uh, we're talking about Justin Thomas, how he let the field back the last week, so for last week's tournament. In this case, in this case, Rom was just running away with it. He was up eight strokes after eight holes, mm-hmm. 14. So there's no way he's going to win. And the announcer kept saying, oh, this is a tough course. You never know what's going to happen. I'm like, oh, sure. You're just yeah. making trying to listen to it. It's, no one's going to, he's not going to blow this. But then, and you know, Palmer wasn't the type of player. And also, but there was Palmer was at six, but there wasn't even other people at six. Like the only one who really could have caught him was Palmer. Yeah. Everyone else was struggling in the thing. And then he bogeyed nine. And then on 10, he was in the water. And so he did a double bogey on 10. And then Palmer on par three birdied. And at one point on, on 14, it it was uh, 10 and 7. And so Palmer cut the eight-stroke lead down to three. And then on 16, Rahm is in the, in the rough on a par three. And just like Tiger did, I think it was in 2000, uh, whatever, 2012, Tiger chipped in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rahm chipped in uh, for, for the birdie, and everyone's excited. Then he ended up winning. He was, he, well, everybody thought at that point he had, uh, he had a, was at 11, and Palmer was at six. But really, he had touched the ball and moved it, mm-hmm. and they gave him a two-stroke penalty. So even got a two-stroke penalty and still won by three strokes. <laughs> but when they interviewed him, Afterwards, he's like, "Did you know you moved your ball on this great shot on 16?" He's like, "No, I didn't. I didn't know I moved it." And but luckily, they have the rules where they tell them, like, "What if he signed an incorrect scorecard, mm-hmm. and then they would have been disqualified of the tournament?" And I don't know if a two-stroke. I mean, you saw that oscillation on the ball. I thought that was really picky if they were going to take two strokes from that. Yeah, no, it was definitely a little ticky-tack. But they, with all the uh, armchair Avengers at home, it's really tough to let anything go because then they're going to be blasting it all over social media. So yeah, nice win for Rom. We got a new number one in the world. Um, how did everyone else shake out there? Just say. Justin Thomas, I mean, everyone really did terrible. I mean, Brooks and, and Tiger were, you know, finished at nothing, you know, plus mm-hmm. uh, seven, plus six, and it really no one competition. Rory had a bit, not, saw a 78 on a Sunday and did not really have a good a good tournament there. I mean, Jordan Spieth sort of was not in contention. He still finished 13th. He shot a plus one. Justin Thomas shot plus two, finished 18th, but was really not in contention. And Maura Cower, we saw the previous week, finished in 48th place. So, you know, it's interesting. Next week is the 3M Open in Minnesota. You expect really nobody there, but you're going to see Finau there. DJ's going to be there. Brooks is going to be there. And Tommy Fleawood, who we you know, saw at the Honda, he's going he's to show up there. And then the World Golf Championships in Memphis, Tiger will be there. Then the PJ Championship, maybe. You know, Tiger might not want to play back-to-back before a major. Yeah. And then the PJ Championship in San Francisco, then 
then they have like sort of a week off, and then you have the three uh, the, the Boston tournament, uh, Chicago and Atlanta, the tour championships, FedEx playoffs, and then we're done. So you might actually just see Tiger maybe four times the rest of the year or five times. Let's talk just for a second about um, the ratings here because uh, you found some interesting information on this. Oh, I thought it was it, it was um, the most watched on Thursday. And I don't have the Sunday's ratings yet, but Thursday was the most watched PGA Tour telecast on Golf Channel in two years and since the round one of the Tour Championships and increased 152% from the year before. And uh, the mo- it posted also the first, uh, you know, the opening round, it uh it was it was the it was the largest first round audience since 1997 on ESPN. You know what I think helped them? The awesome Sunday finish last week. Everyone had a great experience in their last televised golf event, so they got right back into it. Um, UFC. Let's switch gears to that. Um, they had a, a smaller, lesser known card than they had the week prior, but uh, this was still uh, still a good night of fights. Yeah, I mean, uh, Figueredo beat uh, Benavides for the featherweight championship, and it was one that we saw where Henry Cejudo retired or abandoned the the belt. So then they had it, and this is they. Before Figueroa beat Benavides before, but it was uh, was two and a half pounds too heavy. That was in February before we had COVID shutdown, and so this was like sort of this rematch. And and during the period of time, Benavides said, "Look, I you know the only reason he won was he had too much weight." And then this time, Figueroa, you know, just he's now he's from nineteen and one from Brazil, very exciting fighter, good win for him. And uh, but next this um, it's now they're back. To, I think they have one more fight this weekend. They're at fight night, and and then they're back to Apex in Vegas after that. And what about uh, their ratings? Um, their ratings have been great also. Uh, they're the, the only game in town, <laughs> you know, on a Saturday night. But, uh, but their, their, their ratings have been, let's see where it's going to show this. Um, their main, it was interesting, the, main, the 251 where we saw the two weeks ago had 1.3 million buys, which is the most in UFC since 229 in 2018. So that's why, you know, it was, it was to have a buy like 1.3 million. I mean, that's not Mayweather, McGregor type of buy, but that was huge, you know, their biggest rating in two years. And, uh, but the NASCAR ratings have been up double digits so we expect all these ratings to be up at, but we'll see what happens now when baseball starts and with all the other sports you're just going to think there's going to be more sports at the one time than's ever been in the history of sports and what's going to happen to all these ratings yeah they're going to be uh, kind of poaching off each other it is interesting how with UFC they have the advantage with ratings of actually getting the number of buys whereas TV ratings are largely just estimated so that you know exactly how many people were watching this uh, so you brought up NASCAR let's talk about that for a second yeah, I mean that was there was two races, and the interesting thing about NASCAR that is that we for the first time since March we saw fans at event. They had twenty thousand fans at Bristol Motor Speedway. It seats hundred and forty thousand, so they were spread out. But it was Chase Elliott won, his dad had won before. It's, a, it's called the All Star Race, but it was just neat how they put the fans in and how they had the fans leave at certain times. It's sort of like when you were. It almost was like if you go to a wedding and they said you can go buffet. It's like your section can leave, your section can leave. They really <laughs> handled it. I think a lot. Of, it was very interesting. And Sunday they had uh, twenty thousand fans at Texas Motor Speedway that also seats 135,000 fans. It's the first sports event in Texas in four, four months. And Austin Dillon uh, beat Tyler Riddick at Texas at the, for the race. They both raced for Richard Childress Racing. And uh, it's the first time these had two racers since 2011. But uh, it, was that, you know, it was a very exciting race, and it was just neat to see how they could put somehow put fans. But their stadiums are so huge that it's able to do the social distancing that way. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We've got uh, Howard Beck. Uh, NBA journalist joining us at 7.50. going to be a good one. Um, gosh, Iris. So I guess it was Thursday morning, and everyone wakes up, starts checking social media, and you hear about a Washington Post report that's coming out that's going to devastate the Washington team, whatever they're going to be called. And it was just as bad as I thought it was going to be. 
I don't know if it was as bad as I thought it was going to be because I thought it could reference Daniel Snyder, the owner himself. Well, that, yeah, that's true. And I think it was bad in terms of they've had 15 cases of sexual harassment. But unlike with Jerry Richardson, who owned the Carolina Panthers, uh, where he was himself accused of, of, of things, that Dan Snyder and also the president, George Allen, were not involved. And they had already fired uh, before, a few weeks ago, um, the people that were, that were the culprits to, of this. Um, so it, because it didn't, t- you know, people were saying, well, Snyder's going to be forced to sell the team. I don't think so. Highly doubt it. I, I felt of all, I mean, Mark Cuban is a hypocrite. I mean, Mark Cuban, two years ago, his president was the one who was, uh, was accused himself of, uh, of harassing a number of women. I think his number was 15. And uh, that was two years ago. And, and different, Snyder is known as being hands-off and not in the office and not being there that much. Whereas Mark Cuban, he's on Shark Tank. He's on, he does a serious round. Of, uh, <laughs> he's talking about how he's involved in everything, knows every staffer, knows everything everything. And for him to say, I didn't know this was going on. I think it was much more of an indictment on Cuban. And then Cuban's the first person to criticize Snyder. I'm like, wait, two years ago, you're involved in this. And what are you being quoted about everything? So if you didn't force Cuban to sell the team, why are you going to be forced Daniel Snyder? Now it's basketball, football. But I just thought, I mean, every time I hear Cubans talk on this, I go nuts. I mean, it's like you're, you ran this organization and you prided yourself as like being so involved and you see him at the games on the court, he sits behind the bench. And then he goes, well, I really was doing the basketball and not the business, but I'm the great business mind. I mean, it's like weird. (laughs) was trying to make an excuse for himself. But um, no, I think it, I mean, I think when first, when I first heard the stories, I thought, boy, that might force him to sell the team. But because he himself was not accused, I don't think that it's going to be that force him to sell. Uh, yeah, I highly doubt it. And it's like you said, he, he's not directly involved. You have bad employees in every company, not to this level. Um, but, you know, it's something that happens and you, you have to take the fall for your guys sometimes. But situations like this, I think he's going to get a pass, especially since he uh, he wasn't named and, here. And also Ron Rivera stepped up and people said, oh, why is Ron Rivera out there? talking well Ron Rivera is the highest paid person in the organization and he has it seems to be having the management side and general management side of it so I see no reason why Ron Rivera is especially is respected throughout the league and uh, I think it was great I mean he's a great it seems like a great hire for Daniel Snyder to bring someone like Rivera in I mm-hmm. think Rivera has handled himself great his interviews have been fantastic so I think it was great that Ron Rivera I mean I'm starting to feel comfort comfortable that maybe the Redskins are on the right track with Rivera as their coach he's well I don't think the Redskins will ever be on the right track <laughs> maybe it's coming from my uh, New York Giants bias but uh, no, you're right. He, he's as among the most respected people in all of football. And it, what a weird situation he kind of got thrown into. Obviously, he had nothing to do with it. Now he's the one who's got to kind of dig out of it. But they're going to give him full control in Washington, it seems. So, uh, you know, good for him. And, uh, of course, I, I wish him the best, but not, not the Redskins. Um, let's talk about preseason games because I, I don't I, – I'm fine with none of them, Ira. It doesn't matter to me. It's a, what a joke. I mean, it's unbelievable. Be, first of all, the NFL comes out, there's going to be two. And then people are like, oh, well, two, not four. Then it comes down to one game, and now they're fighting because the players don't want any, and the owners want one, and nobody, the fans don't care. Like, they don't care at all. There's mm-hmm. no, there's no, like, why would you want to have the players in it? What's the chance of increasing the COVID-19 with your players? Like, why well, wouldn't want that? I don't want, first of all, I don't want to see the preseason games anyway. I think it's a joke. Just scrimmage with, you know, just, just have a scrimmage. You don't need to set the stadium and bring people in. Uh, I think the players are totally right on this and I think the owners are totally wrong. The only reason that the preseason games really exist from the coaching aspect is to find out who's going to be the 53rd guy on the roster, who's going to be the 52nd guy on the roster, who's getting cut. So yeah, if you're going to do it, 
don't even televise it. Don't bring the big players. Bring the guys that you need to prove it to. Let them play. Like you said, it's basically a scrimmage. But, you know, this is all it's for. There's no reason to be dragging Aaron Rodgers across the country to play a preseason game. It's, it's stupid. You're totally correct. They should just do uh, scrimmages that are controlled where the other team says, I'm going to be running this play. We're running this play. Show us how we do this. Don't have any of your stars there. And that's what it is. The stars don't play in these preseason games anyway. It's stupid to have them. And I, I hopefully there'll be none. I'm going to counter that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, jump in. But I think there's actually a good reason to play one preseason game is that obviously with all the COVID, I think try to get a test run in there, get one game in the stadium. I don't think you want to jump into that uh, Texans-Chiefs opening night game on September 10th and have that the first football game uh, of the year where there's really no experiment. I think you should have one preseason game for each team, maybe even not have some games, just to experiment in the stadiums what it's going to be when players are on the field and the pregame festivities. You mean the how logistics that's work out. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But, but you only have, but you have, then you would, each team would have to have a home game, so you'd have two games because there's six, there's 32 teams. So you're you're only going to have 16 teams practice. I, yeah. Or they could do a you could, you could be like the Patriots and just film the Bengals while <laughs> yeah. they're doing theirs and then try to learn from that. What's going on with the Raiders? Um, well, the Raiders just said no fans. I mean, they're the first team that I think has come out that says no yep. fans. But I think a lot will change. I think as the season goes on, if you see that the fans, I mean, this is all a fluid situation. And so just because saying no fans now doesn't mean in November and December, if there's no cases and no deaths, then people are going to say, you know what, let's start bringing some fans into these games. So we just have to see what happens. But I thought it was interesting that the Raiders actually, I, mean, I have friends that have Raiders season tickets, and they, they were told by people that, Look, you're going to get your money back here. There's no, there's or, or renew it for next year. There's no fans this year. And it's interesting because I would think that the Raiders would want fans the most. Yes. You know, in this situation, but yes. uh, it's unfortunate that it goes like that. I'm sure the Chargers aren't going to mind you know, in that scenario. <laughs> what are some important dates we need to know? About? Well, they're they're there. I mean, the dates are that everybody is coming this week. I mean, you're going to start seeing everybody in camp and and going, and then we're going to see what the COVID tests are and the numbers and who has to sit out and how they're going to practice. And this is what we. For. I mean, it's this coming week where they're where they're coming in. It was, um, for some reason, kind of quiet, even though there was a lot of action and a lot of contracts and, and franchise tags that went down over this past week. Well, remember, the franchise tags are for a situation. And I'm amazed. The one thing about this is I can't believe the NFL, the NBA, the NFL players, when they renew their, would allow the franchising again. To me, it's like the biggest contentious thing. It's like, why should you, if your contract's up, that's it. But this allows the NFL teams to franchise a player and even transition a player so that it could be two players, but it's mostly it's just one. They could, they, could, they could tag one player, which saying you have to take this salary. Now the salary is the top five at the position, so you're going to pay, but they, but they can't sign these long-term deals, and it's stopping players from signing. We saw with Dak Prescott, these long-term deals. So I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's weird that the players agree to this because it really to me it really hurts them and bothers the you know the players are not happy otherwise they would want to sign a long-term deal or they could go out to a, another team and sign or maybe you know a remedy for this is only allowing certain positions to be franchised running back should not be allowed to be franchised if you come out of college at 22 play your you know five-year rookie contract then you get franchised now you're almost 30 years old and nobody just wants to sign running backs over the age of 30. It's really detrimental for, for those kids. Who did get uh, tagged that we need to talk about? Well, you, everybody knows Dak, signed, Dak yeah. Prescott. Uh, well, got tagged was Dak Prescott. Uh, Leonard Williams of Giants. Uh, let's give some names that people might know. Bud Dupree of the Steelers was uh, surprised that he got tagged in terms of they couldn't work out a deal with him. Usually it's like the reason they got tagged is they were trying to negotiate a deal with them and they couldn't He's do a middle it. linebacker? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. And Shaq Barrett 
of the of the Buccaneers yep. who led the, the sacks uh, last year for the NFL. Kenyon Drake, who after being traded from the Dolphins, had some breakout games with the Cardinals last year. Which is bizarre, David Johnson. Too. The guy had three good games for you. And it's not that he's a bad player. I, I think he's actually pretty good, but I'm not paying Kenny yeah, Drake top five money. The Cardinals? He had good games with the Cardinals. Well, I think that's yeah. why you go franchise tag him instead of giving him a big extension. I yeah. Mean, uh, why would you waste one of your top draft picks on a running back? Or? I just don't want to spend I don't want to spend $10 million on my running back position. I mean, Arizona has money. Like, they, they don't have a lot of big contracts. So I understand that one. And like you said, he was really good. So I'm not no, going to no, take that sense. away from him. Guys like um, Hunter Henry, I can see that that as well. No, because, he's also a very injury-prone player. Yeah, it's so a one-year experiment. Yeah, if, he's, if he plays four games this year, he's not going to get that big deal. Yeah. Um, Ira, let's look at... What are the, how are the Chiefs going to pay all these people? They just locked up Chris Jones, which he's an excellent player. But, I mean, they're, they're going to be in salary cap hell sooner rather than later. Well, that was the point about Mahone's contract is that Brady was making $15 million a year when the other quarterbacks were making 25 and he was saving, leaving money on the table so he could get his rings. And there was this criticism of Mahone's. Now we'll see how they structure the contract. And again, this is a, f- a fluid. We talked about the COVID-19. The contracts are fluid in terms of moving it around. But the right is that Mahone's did not leave money on this table in order to be, give the team some flexibility. Aaron Rodgers hadn't either. So you know, that's, it's, almost like, it's almost like the Packers were telling him. It was like, Aaron Rodgers, you got every last dollar you could get. That's why you have no wide receivers or something like that. <laughs> but, but Brady didn't get wide receivers either. He left money on the yeah. table and he didn't get the wide receivers. But the point is, that's what that's one thing. I, I think the people think Kelsey, that's why Kelsey's going to be a free agent. And that's why, but their drafting has been great. Chris uh, uh, Edwards-Hilaire at running back. Mm-hmm. Nicole Hardman. Yeah, it's just, I mean, every time they've seen their drafting, the Chiefs, that's what's able to keep this the, the in football. And you saw, I mean, their drafting has been great the last few years. No, yeah. absolutely it has. No, they also have their championship window is basically last year when they won it. This year and next year, they got everyone under contract. They had Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Tyron Matthew. Now they have Edward Tillier in the backfield. Sammy Watkins I think he's got one more year. So basically loaded up to run back last year's championship this team this year and then also next year. Not a good sign though is that Vegas has Patrick Mahomes career Super Bowl wins or from now one and a half. Right. I saw a lot of so people they're taking saying over that on he that. doesn't win two more Super Bowls. Yes. Yeah, Vegas is usually smarter than us yes. and if Vegas thinks it that makes me think that maybe the window's smaller than, than we were thinking here. Let's talk about the Titans just for one second because kind of head-scratcher moves here a little bit. And the Titans are a pretty well-run franchise. I'll give them that. They don't draft particularly well, but they're a decent-run franchise. And I think they might be getting themselves in trouble. I, I think the Titans feel. this is They signed Derrick Henry to a four-year, $40, $50 million contract, $25 million guaranteed, which is good, but it's still not. It's still the fourth-highest. It was not a ridiculous. It was not a Todd Gurley money um, in terms of David Johnson money. It wasn't mm-hmm. insane money, but it was. So they were surprised with that. And what they give to, to Ryan Tannehill when they signed him to four years, 118 million, 62 million guaranteed. But what I think, 62 million extension, 91 guaranteed. I think the point is, is that they feel they're better than, I feel like they think they're going to win the Super Bowl. That this is, the, they feel like they just, they should have beat the Chiefs. That was so close. And they, whereas the Ravens feel like, oh, I can't believe we overlooked the Titans. Like that's when you look to the Ravens, they're like, I was at that game where they were so like, like we overlooked them. We'd kill the Titans. I think the Titans feel like, no, we have the team. We know what we're doing. We love our coach. We have the great defense. We exactly know we have a great wide receiver and in terms of young wide receivings. And I think they feel like this is their window right now. That's why they're making this move. They feel they're closer. Now we, you might think, I mean, Harrison's going to say, so he doesn't think so. But in their mind, they think they're in their window to win yeah. the Super Bowl. No, of course they do. That's do the think, only Harrison? way to justify what they did over the last three months is to say that we're going all in in the championship in the 2020 season because I just think what they did made zero sense. I, I, so I follow them pretty closely. And when it, they signed uh, Derek, when they franchise tag Derek Henry, it just 
because they gave Tannehill the extension. I thought they should have franchised Tannehill because if you franchise tag Derrick Henry, they wanted they were going to sign him extension regardless. So why are you wasting the franchise tag on Henry when you should have given it to Tannehill instead they gave $62 million guaranteed for a $91 million guaranteed total? It's just you're investing so much into Ryan Tannehill, who I know he played 12 great games last year. He was the comeback player of the year. Threw for uh, 27, 42 yards, 22 touchdowns, 6 picks. Also ran for 4 more touchdowns and had the highest quarterback rating in the NFL in that span. But you can't put all that money into 12 games that he had and even... The most important games, the playoff games against New England. He only threw 14 passes, 88 yards. In the game against Baltimore, oh yeah, that was the game against Baltimore, the 17-14. Against New England, 8-15, 72 yards and a touchdown. He wasn't the reason they were winning those games. It was Derrick I Henry. Won't, I, won't t- I won't knock him for that, though, because it, it, it's not like he, it it's not like he had offense. 45 incompletions. It, yes, he just didn't choose to it was, pass. It was the run-first offense. He only yep. threw the ball at 14 and 15 times. It was the Derrick Henry offense that they had, which the Henry contract for them was great. It was a team-friendly deal. After two years, they can work it out again. But just I don't understand why. They gave Tannehill all I, that I money think that part of it is there, there's like a ten million dollar difference, so it might be cutting off your nose to spite your face. He's only going to get twenty two million on the fran- on on this deal. Franchise tag is going to be like thirty two. Yeah. So maybe that was their reasoning, like we're getting a little bit of a bargain here. But, but people just think Tannehill's a bump. But with the Tannehill deal, so when we get to Week Ten, the Titans play the Colts on Thursday Night Football in Indianapolis. When that game ends, are we going to be saying ten games through the Titans season? Wow, they got a great deal for Ryan Tannehill in that contract. Or are we going to be saying if they make the AFC Championship game again when yes. they're nine and one? I think what they're with you, and I was listening. You when you made the comments you did, I was I looked and I looked and I'm listening to what Tennessee's been saying and they're feeling. And I know we have a different opinion of Ryan Tannehill down here in South Florida. Yeah, totally I think that's different. Yeah. This is a different Ryan Tannehill, and they're they're real Ryan. But Tannehill. that was twelve games, so you don't know how it's going to be next. But year. their comment on Ryan Tannehill is he is the player that can make the pass. Like we saw we saw Jimmy Garoppolo could not make those key third down passes mm. last year. They feel that he is the player that on third and 12 and third and 13 when they're in trouble is not going to throw an interception but he's going to make that pass and who can run the offense with Henry and is going to make smart decisions and he's a leader and all those things that they want. They feel like he is the total package. They actually believe that. I mean that that's what the team is and they're going all in. Now they could be wrong. You you know Harrison is saying things that I think nationally nationally what Harrison is saying what the national people feel. But mm. if you go to Tennessee the Tennessee people well, are Well because they have a quarterback like that since Steve McNair. They had <laughs> right. Marcus Mario. You're exactly right, though. They like guys that come in, put their nose to the grindstone, don't get in trouble, study the. You know what I mean? They they like hardworking, quiet guys, and that's what Ryan Tannehill is. So maybe that is the fit. And obviously, we'll if if Rabel likes you and they respect Rabel, then you're in college football, guys. Um, I I, I have no idea what to think about no, this. I just don't think it's going to happen. Well, I think this is this is a point now that we where the, where nothing has changed from last week when I said the Big Ten and Pac-12 they're going to play conference only games and SEC, ACC, and Big Twelve and Notre Dame are really not decided what's going to happen. Nothing has happened. Nothing has been decided. Um, this is of all the sports. I mean, look, you're looking at baseball coming back and ba- and basketball and hockey and golf. Everything's been back. You know, tennis has had the most trouble of all of them. We mm-hmm. joked about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, like they're really having trouble getting, and it's mainly the international, getting all these international players into the same country. Nobody can seem to play. They're having, you know, the tennis is trouble, but college football, just the sheer number of athletes, the amount of people, the fact they're in college, if there's one sport that's not going to get off, it's going to be it's college football. It's like the, yeah. the tough one. It just seems to be difficult. And I, I mean, people I was listening to talk radio and they were saying, oh, there has to be a czar of college football. But that's not how college football is. College football is conference-dominated people. Mm-hmm. That's what they have. The presidents still run it. They're schools. They don't, they, the football team doesn't run Alabama. Like, Nick Saban doesn't decide Alabama. You might think he is. He's the highest-paid person. But he's not the president of Alabama. Mm-hmm. And it's their school first. And that's the one thing that people have to understand. Football is very important. But there's so many other factors and layers that go into these decisions. I think college football is running into this. This is a, 
difficulty. But I think that, look, the SEC will do anything just to play SEC games. Because at least if it's conference, you could say, look, you're going to test this way. We're going to test this way. That's how we're going to test. It's, in, it's playing the Akron's and the other schools. They don't know. They're afraid of playing schools that they don't know how their testing is. Mm-hmm. If they say, we're going to Vanderbilt's going to test the same way Tennessee's going to test, then they can play and they feel comfortable. How do you think this is going to work out for the draft? Let's say SEC does play. And Big Ten doesn't play. I'm just saying, like, all these kids, if, if I was on Oregon and the Pac-10 or Pac-12 doesn't want to play, I'd, and I thought I was going to get drafted, I'd be really worried. I'd be trying to transfer. Why, I can't showcase my skills, but these SEC kids are going to. It's going to be too late to, to transfer when they decide they're going to yeah, play it's or not. So it's going to be hard. That's what It's going to be bad. But then if they go to the other thing is, boy, be here more spring sport. But if they go to the spring, then you're going to lose You're going to lose all the players. Like if, if it's spring sports, then you're not going to have any of your stars. It's going to be just the, the players. You know, the, the one thing they even said, if it goes spring sports, you're going to see these high school kids who didn't maybe play this year, they go and matriculate early. So all these big five-star athletes that we are talking about, might come into the spring and now play spring football as a freshman year. When they should be playing high school, they should be play, could be playing college. I think California said today they're going to play high school football in the spring. Yeah. So, but 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 see, if you're a, but if you're why would you if you're a California high school star football player, you're not going to play in the spring. You're just going to go to college early yourself. So that's mm-hmm. all going to everything. You're not going to have a senior year at all. Yeah, college football is really taking the brunt of this compared to some of these other sports. It's it's unfortunate. Um, let's change gears to MLS. We've got our own um, our self proclaimed super fan of Inter Miami here. I Harrison. watched I watched all the games. I watched the oh. Miami games. They they didn't score you think any they're goals. Terrible. Well, they're zero and four, and they zero and five, and they. I watched this morning, and they took two shots. They they played ninety minutes and took two shots. I mean, I, it's hard to imagine with ninety minutes and take two shots unless you have Messi taking those two shots. It just seems like they're not going to score. I mean, I mean, I've watched their games. I mean, they, how many they scored? How many goals in five games? Two games? Two goals in five games? Well, they lost to uh, Philadelphia Union two one last Tuesday. They gave an early goal to Kai Wagner. They answered back in thirty six when uh, Pizarro scored, and then Philly scored on a three on one breakaway. Similar to what we saw today in the sixty third minute. In the 83rd, Miami had a corner that hit the post on a header and ended their chances. That's that not game. the same Pizarro as from Inter Milan, is it? No, I don't think so. Because there was a, a superstar in Italy, been Pizarro, uh, on Inter Milan. It'd be kind of funny if no, but, that was one of their international But for our friends up north in Florida, the host city of Orlando beat NYCFC last Tuesday. They are clinching. They clinched their spot in the knockout round. It's a good story there. They play Philadelphia Union tonight. They're one of the teams that people didn't really expect to go in this tournament. They're playing really well. Uh, LAFC, my team that I thought was going to win the tournament, they rallied back from down 3-1 last Monday night to draw Houston at 3. Saturday night, they played their rival LA Galaxy, El Trafico, as they call it, and they beat them 6-2. They had four goals from Diego Rossi, who's stepping in for the MVP, Carlos Vela, who obviously didn't come to the tournament. It was just the 13th four-goal game in MLS history, and it looks like they're going to advance to the knockout round. They play Portland on Thursday night. And then one of the big shockers of this tournament, other than Orlando, is Columbus Crew. They have won their first two games, both in shutouts, 4-0 over Cincinnati, 2-0 over the NY Red Bulls. They play Atlanta tomorrow night, who both lost to the two teams they beat. So they are a real threat that no one expected that's going to win this tournament. It could win this tournament. So we got other sports coming back, but keep your eye on the MLS. They're wrapping up their Group stage. Keep our eye on Inter Milan. It's Iron Sports. Uh, Inter Miami. True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Ira, like I said before, baseball is my favorite sport. Didn't bother me in the slightest. There was no fans. I, I think basketball with no fans. I don't, I don't like this. All the squeaking. Hockey's just going to be a lot of tapping and noises. Baseball with no fans doesn't bother me at all. Just like golf. Wait, I watch a lot of Pirates games, and there's not a lot of fans <laughs> at those games. And anybody who turns on Sunshine Sports and watches the Marlins games, I mean, and I go well, down. What's the difference? There's 
it's probably it seemed louder you know they pump in the, the I don't know I didn't think the, the pump in crowd noise wasn't bad I thought I wouldn't like it and I thought it wasn't over the top I went, and when they played the music and stuff like that I didn't think it was so bad I think the cardboard cutouts some people liked them I thought it was stupid um, I didn't like the cardboard cutouts in the stands I thought that was weird um, the Dodgers I saw when my friend has season tickets and they wanted him to spend four or five hundred dollars to just get his face in a cardboard yeah. cutout which is the biggest waste of money I could ever imagine <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I thought I think that the, the fan the pumped in fan was good but it was it was it was different you know, when they showed the Korean games it looked boring because it was Korean we don't know who the players were but it did seem when they had the music going on and things like that yeah I, I didn't think it was you know baseball is not allowed it's not I mean if you go to a Yankee playoff game it's loud and yeah. you say but generally it's not it's it's very yeah. quiet it's game it's so it's more like golf yeah there's so much time in between pitches to not so much time but there's you know there's lulls constantly that's why it's a great radio game you just put it on and your on back TV run. when they show the angle because of all the diamond club and the big expensive se- nobody's sitting in those seats anyway yeah. they're in the buffet line getting food <laughs> so those seats are empty go how many Yankee games do you watch where there's nobody behind the, they're in the middle of the game and there's they're all inside eating food yeah. and everything like that and that's I mean I go to games and sit there and all my friends want to eat the whole time and I'm like look I don't we can go to a restaurant and eat like the I one thing I'm gonna miss though is when someone hits, even if it's not even a walk-off home run, just the fans celebrating, all everyone going and trying to catch a home run instead of just landing in some empty seats. Someone, That's the only thing I'm going to miss. Someone posted a picture of a, a home run ball just rolling down the steps because nobody's obviously had to grab it saying, this is 2020, this is where we are. Um, it, something I didn't think about at all, Ira, is what's going to happen with the Blue Jays because now Canada's saying they're not letting them come in and out. Yeah, I mean, I think they're probably going to play in Dunedin, which is their spring training park, but there was a thought that they would play in Buffalo. They still haven't announced it yet, I don't think, but they, they were, that was the, the Blue Jays, they cannot play in Toronto. I mean, luckily for baseball, there's only one team, otherwise it'd been two, but they've been practicing down here, so they've been, they, yeah. you know, so I, look, I think they should play in Dunedin. It seems makes sense to play in your, 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 your spring training park, I mean, yeah, spring training park where they're used to with the facilities and everything. There. Is it Dunedin or, or Dunedin? Dunedin. I never. Dunedin. I, I had no Dunedin. idea. They were arguing about that. <laughs> um, hey, that, that a third team in Florida wouldn't, wouldn't bother me too badly. Um, so let's talk about about some of these games. Uh, what, what did you take in? Because I was watching as much as I could. Well, I, I took in the fact that uh, the Yankees were just amazing with Stanton, Judge, uh, Sanchez, Void. Everything that I've been saying about the Yankees, we're going to get into some previewing of this of these of the series. The Yankees are loaded. They're phenomenal. They are Yankees are Astros and Dodgers. What they're going to what those they'll be in the World Series. I mean, either the Yankees are Astros and, and the Dodgers. I can't see them, but it's like you turn them on and they're just blowing. To, I mean, Clay Bellinger has played two games, nine RBIs, nine RBIs. Mm. And this, I mean, it's they're just that lineup is just amazing to watch. I love watching the Dodgers and I love watching the Yankees and the Pirates. Like you're excited because you're watching the Pirates against Cleveland and they're up three zero and of course they blow the lead because they leave their pitchers in. I'll tell you what, these managers they got to have quick hooks. If you have a pitcher and he's not going to pitch well, I mean, each because each game is two point eight, you cannot worry about feelings. Like, I mean, you should get guys out in the middle of a batter because I think this is well. You actually well, have three, batter, in, three, three now. batter minimum yeah. now. But I mean, the point is that I'm I'm nervous about I'm nervous about some of these teams and these managers not. Don't worry about feelings because you blow these games. It's like every game is like two point seven yeah. games. Let's uh, let's talk about the Dodgers. You got your Dodgers blue on today, Ira. Um, what, what are you thinking here for these guys? I. It's another season where anything less than the World Series is a disappointment. World Series win. 
<laughs> no, World Series. I mean, a World Series win. Not get to the World Series, not like losing seven games in the 18th or 25th inning or whatever. It's it, The Dodgers, <laughs> Will, Will Smith is the best young catcher, maybe the best catcher in baseball. You have Max Muncy at first base. The, you have Andrew Lux, who's the best young player people think will be rookie of the year, is their second baseman. So now they not only do they have a great team, they bring in Lux as a rookie who's going to be great. Seager, uh, Turner, Peterson, and they didn't trade Peterson. He's still there. Bellinger was the MVP. And they bring in the, the AL MVP two years, Mookie Betts. I mean, they just added so much in London. Plus on the bench, Matt Beattie, Chris Taylor, A.J. Pollock, uh, with pitching staff. So Kershaw, Bueller. I mean, the pitching staff is okay, they but lost, not great. They lost Rich Hill. They lost Kenta Maeda. But they I brought think, in David Price, but he's not playing. I think that's a weak spot on them. Uh, you know, they're going to score so many runs, it won't even matter. I'm telling you, this team, they, they still have uh, Trident, uh, uh, Baez, Kelly uh, in the, is, is their bullpen. The, 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 look, I put the Dodgers 50 games, 50 and 10, that's, like maybe 52 and 8. They're not losing. They're too good. They're too good. Who, whoever's been drafting for them deserves a massive raise. I mean, oh, yeah. they, they pull up, like you said, uh, between Gavin Lux and Will Smith, two kids that are 20 years old that are going to be with the team for the next decade. It's amazing. Clay Bellinger is still talent. on his rookie deal. Yeah. I mean, this is this team is loaded. Will Smith. I mean, I'm saying they are. They brought in bets, and and you know who's the big beneficiary that that, that the Dodgers are that are playing baseball this year is the Dodgers because they would have lost bets. They got bets now this one year for him. This is just amazing. I, I just don't see any competition for the Dodgers. If they at don't all. win it this year, this is this is their chance. This I'll is the last year Kershaw is going to be. Their, if the, if the Yankees win, it counts. If Dodgers win, it's an asterisk for the shortened season. <laughs> this is the most win you're for them. <laughs> Let's talk about the Yankees. They're another team, and I'm hoping that something doesn't happen. You know, across all sports with you know a COVID outbreak or something like that. But they're another team that I'm going to be a little disappointed if they're not in the World Series. Well, the only reason they wouldn't be in the World Series is if I think if the Astros beat them, but. I mean, first of all, they're healthy. I mean, when you're watching them now, they're all healthy. Like last year, they were hurt. They, the Stanton didn't play a game. Yeah. Hicks was out. I mean, look, you just go from Sanchez to Voigt to DJ LeMahieu, Torres, uh, Ursel, Anjahar, Hicks, Judge, Gardner, Frazier. I'm just keeping naming names. I don't know how much longer it can go. Mm-hmm. They Honestly, the Dodgers and Yankees could field two teams, and I think both. I think they would have two. If they fielded, they broke their teams up. I'd favor one of those teams to make the play to World Series. That's how good the Dodgers and Yankees are. Uh, additionally, with the injuries was Miguel Andahar, who should have probably been Rookie of the Year two years ago, missed all of last season as well. They're moving him to left field to get him some reps because he was just awful at third base. And that's what also benefits the Dodgers in the National League, the fact that they're the so loaded on talent. They have the DH now. Now yeah. they, at first of all, they were having Kershaw hit, in, which mm-hmm. is actually a fairly He's good, a, hitter. good, good hitter. <laughs> but, but, but the point is that now they actually can use a player, whereas someone like the Pirates are going to have some 200 hitter hitting as their DH. The Dodgers are going to have like a <laughs> 300. Of, they're going to have so many people. They'll be able to rest their players. It's an amazing thing. It's just so perfect. I cannot. If the Dodgers don't make the World Series, I don't know what I'm going to do. To be them. fair, the Pirates could have a 200 hitter batting third also. Yes, of course. <laughs> well, the Yankees also got this Garrett Cole guy who yes. in his last 22 starts with the Astros last year went 16-0 and with a 1.7 ADRA and is clearly the best pitcher in baseball. So Originally drafted by the Yankees too yep. and he chose to, to go to college. Um, what do you think about the Nationals? Is this another team? I'm never going to count these guys out with, with their top pitching. I love the Nationals. I really think I look, the, there's a lot of things to think about the Nationals. They they brought as many Many of these rotations are broken apart, and they're not as strong. You look down, and you're like, question. They don't have questions. Scherzer, uh, Strasburg, Corbin, Annabelle Sanchez, who played great. I mean, this is a team. These pitchers proved in 
in the playoffs how well they can pitch. And they proved all last year when almost every game was a must-win game. And these starters came out every single game. And they had no bullpen whatsoever. And the pressure was on them to go seven innings. So I love the Nationals pitcher. And I'll tell you this. They gave up Rendon, but this Carter Keyboom, uh, the rookie, if he Carter is... Carter Keyboom, yeah. Keyboom, sorry. Yeah. Keyboom. No, it's... But if Carter, if, if he is what they think he is and can replace Rendon, that's great. And then Juan Soto. Let's see if Juan Soto has the, has the MVP here this year. So the point is that, I, look, I love the National League East. I, I love the Nats. I like the Mets. I don't. I like. I even like the Phillies and the Braves. I think really. I mean, it's the strongest division in baseball. Do you like a concern though about the 19 and 31 start they had last year? I'm I'm very concerned about it, but I think that the fact is that I think they they're on a roll now, and I think they were yeah. they, they they ended. But I do think they figured out how they're going to use their starting pitchers, and as long as those guys stay healthy and Corbin. I'm look. I love them all. I, I think they have four. They have the best rotation in baseball, mm. and if they can. And we'll see some of these younger players and, and how well Soto comes on and plays. And I think they, I do think, I, look, you wish they would have stayed together. They had the mojo. They had the excitement. They had, they don't even have Baby Shark back. But uh, <laughs> that guy, he's in Japan, I think. He left. Yeah, so, but the point is, maybe someone else, I mean, I would have totally adopt Baby Shark. It's like the greatest thing. Like someone else should say, I'm Baby Shark. But uh, <laughs> before we get to the, the predictions, like our trivia of the day, because we talked about that 1931, they start they had last year. Do you know the best 60 game stretch? Any team has ever had in the history of baseball? I'm going to say the Tigers, but I might be wrong. It was actually the Dodgers. Two, three years ago, in 2017. Oh, yeah, that's right. From June 7th to August 19th, they went 51-9. and nine. Not bad. And that, yeah, I you got two teams doing that this year. But <laughs> after that, the last 38 games, they went 17-21. Well, and and, and, and there, I'm going to pound another thing. That's another thing to understand. The Dodgers every year have got these enormous leads and coasted. Like, they're in by August, they're done, and then they're just, like, goofing off. That's one of the problems. They've been blowing this division away. Now they yeah. don't have time. They're not going to get a zillion game lead over. They're going to stay on top. I love this. I think the fact that there's that they, they the shortened postseason, the postseason, they didn't add the extra team. Teams, helps them everything like there's nothing that hasn't helped the Dodgers it's all up to the Dodgers they're gonna do it no you're right we just got, just got just about five minutes left here until we get to uh, Howard Beck here on Iron Sports um Let's do some predictions. I, I do want to mention that before before that, actually, White Sox made some sneaky acquisitions oh, yeah. this off season, and I give them credit. They're, they're trying to win. I think there's a, a certain amount of teams, your, your poor Pittsburgh Pirates, who just don't seem that interested in winning. <laughs> the White Sox, they want to win. And they're, they're not afraid of spending money. I, I think so, too. Um, they so let, get Grandel, Keuchel, and Carcion, Steve Shishak, former Marlin. I think they're a playoff team this year. All right, you guys wanted to do some, uh, some predictions yep, here? Let's go. Ira, what do you think for the NL East? Nats. Yeah, I mean... I, Atlanta Braves. Yeah, I like the Braves a lot, Adical too. Cole Hamels, Travis Denard, Will Smith... Marcelo Zuna. The only team with better young talent than the Braves is the Nationals. So that's what yep. kind of you know disturbed me a little bit. The pitching's not as deep as it could be on the on the Braves, but I, I'm not think I think they're definitely going to make the playoffs. But I love the Mets also. I love the fact that I think Alonso is going Alonso is going to have another great year. And I think Cespedes put him at DH. That's another DH thing. Just load him on DH. Mm-hmm. Don't have a run. Don't get him hurt. I like Degrom, Stroman, Porcello as pitching. Matt Walker comes in there. I like the Mets a lot. Um, and and even the Phillies. You saw Didi had. A home run the other day. I think Bryce Harper could, you know, Bryce Harper gets hot for like sometimes like 50 times. If he gets, if this is his hot streak of these 50 games, he's going to be the MVP. And so I'm, I'm nervous about their pitchers, but the Phillies pitchers, but uh, I like the Mets. I like the Nets. This is probably the best division in baseball. It's going to be the toughest one oh, yeah, to win definitely. because, you know, yeah, even the Marlins are bad. Yeah, but there's four teams that, that could all win it. You're not going to be that shocked. Um, NL Central, what do you think? The Brewers, I pick them to win. I agree. Milwaukee Brewers, Christian Yelich might be one of the best outfielders in baseball. He's yeah, I mean, his the the war and the MVPs speak for it. It's going to be really hard also, to beat Brandon them. Also, Brandon Woodruff uh, injured part of last year, but went eleven and three. 
Starts. I did mention, I think two weeks ago on the show, watch out for the Reds. I, I think this team's going to be a lot better than people anticipate, and I'm not going to be shocked if, they're, if they finish second in that division. Let's go out west. I think it's a landslide oh, here. Uh, it's Dodgers. Dodgers by, and uh, Arizona is improved. Arizona has gotten a lot better. It's gotten better, but I think they had so far to go. I mean, they were they finished 20 games out last year, so what are they going to do? Finish, a, whatever, if it was a normal schedule, what, 12 or 13? I, I think Arizona's improving. San Diego's young. They're in, in Colorado, whatever. But I, I think that the well, the problem these teams are going to have is the Dodgers are just going to beat everybody up. I mean, they're just going to win every game. So it's, yeah. you're going to you're, you're have total losses. You give this dominant team that's there. Um, and one thing about the Central, I do like the Cubs. I think that you're right. The Reds, the Red Brewers, Cubs, uh, Cards, and Reds all you know they're going to be good. That's why like teams like the Marlins and the Pirates are terrible. They're going to lose every game. You're absolutely right in what you said about Arizona here. If Arizona was in the Central. They'd have a way better yeah. chance of making it, not playing, it's, it's pretty weak. and, and just not playing the Dodgers the fifteen times. So you know yeah. whatever it's going to shake out yeah, to. Done. Watch out for Zach Gallen. They basically stole him from the Miami Marlins. I think he's going to be an excellent pitcher. Shocker there. They got yeah. I mean, well, if, if the Marlins have anything, it's a couple of good young pitchers. So maybe that was their thinking. They got back a shortstop named Jazz Chisholm, who's supposed to be okay, but I don't think he's the future or anything. But Zach Gallen, I think, is going to end up being the ace of that Arizona bullpen. Uh, let's go to the AL East. If my Yankees don't take it down, I would be shocked. Well, in the East, yeah, they're, they're not even shocked. I, I think it'll be investigation. I mean, it had to be some, how in the <laughs> yeah. world? I mean, they're not losing to Tampa, Toronto. Come on, Boston is just Boston is totally punted on the entire year, and Baltimore is not fielding a team. I, mean, I don't think are they competing? <laughs> I mean, this is a joke. I mean, this is the division is a joke. It's a total joke. If I'm a Boston fan, I'm furious because my team just gave up. I mean, this wouldn't they're, they're going for 2021 is the year. What an embarrassment for the Red Sox. Yeah. But if there's ever a year to give it up, it's this year. But yeah, it it's really well. they better get their I, act I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be a playoff team back in 21. But yes, I have the Yankees winning the AL East, unfortunately. AL Central is probably the worst division in baseball. And just because they just don't have a lot of talent to go around, White Sox got a lot better. And I'm not going to be shocked if the White Sox take this one down. Over the Twins, I still think the Twins. It's going to be a battle. I love the Twins this year. I think Josh Donaldson could win the MVP. They had they had the most home runs in baseball last ever. They had like 307. They had 11 players to 10 or more. And they added Josh Donaldson at 37 last year. And they got Kenta Maeda. No pitching. It's Hill. not enough pitching for me. I think they're going to be a dangerous team that could win the AL. Let's take the Sox. What about you? I like the Twins, but I, I, because I don't like the Indians, I don't like the White Sox, the Royals, the ti- ti- Tigers, Tigers. Like with the Orioles. I mean, there's, that's another minor league baseball team that is playing. I mean, unbelievable. It's a minor Tigers league team. Tigers could win 15 games. Right. 10 or 8 <laughs> or 0 or whatever. They're terrible. And uh, finally, the AL West. And it, listen, I, I think that the Angels are going to be better, but it's still, it's really hard to pry this out away from the Astros. I'm taking the Angels. I'm, I'm all in on Trout and Shohei Otani and Upton. They got Anthony Rendon from the World Champion Nationals. Uh, Adelton Simmons. I think they're going to be a firework offensively. Uh, they also got Julio Tehran from the Atlanta Braves. I really like this team this year. I'm going all, putting all my chips in on the Angels. Tehran's been a boss. That guy's AOS. worthless. Washed up. What about you, <laughs> I? I think Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Gurriel, Brantley, Springer, Reddick. I think so. My thing with the Astros, sorry to hop in, but I think they were really looking forward to, from what I saw in the spring training games, was – just the negativity. I think they were going to build off that and feed off that. And I just, it's not there. They're just better. They're talented. They have the best players. Mm-hmm. I think they're the be- they're the team. The only team I think with Verlander, if Verlander stays healthy and Granky has another good year, remember people say they lost Cole, but they still have Granky. They still have Verlander. Um, I think I, look, I, I I like them, but I no, I, I think the Angels are going to get the wild card. Okay. But I do think the Astros. I think the Astros win the division. And my wild card is the White Sox and the Tampa Bay Rays. There we have it. And what what about you, I? 
Angels and the A's. I, for some reason, I don't. I don't. I just think the A's somehow get in. I try. I'm trying to pick someone else who I think should get in. And I'm not so. Again, that's why I think there's there's more teams in National League. It's more competitive. I think the American League isn't as competitive in terms of these teams. You got the Yankees and you have the Astros. I don't think you see have these other teams that are going to come up there. But I do like the Twins a lot. Yeah. So I think they'll be good. Let's uh, go ahead and go to Howard Beck from Bleacher Report here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports. Uh, we're talking to Bleacher Report NBA writer Howard Beck. Howard, thanks a lot for coming on this afternoon. Absolutely, my pleasure. So we're like a few, about a week away from the game starting. I'm excited about that. And when I'm looking at the bubble, and I know it's impossible, I'm going to ask you a question that no one knows the answer. But from your perspective, what do you think, who's going to be benefit from the fact that they're going to be in a bubble, there's not a home arenas, they're going to be in one place? Do you see, like, is there younger players going to benefit from this, older players? What do you see from, is someone, is it just going to be some benefit for, to one, some players rather than others? If you're a team of, of veterans, let's take the Lakers, a team that's a contender anyway, and LeBron has seen everything in the world, and he's always going to keep himself in great shape, and Danny Green has been to multiple finals and won championships, and you know they've got all these guys who they're, they're, you know, they, they've got the know-how. They can play no matter what the circumstances are. They'll be fine. That's a great theory, except that maybe younger players can snap back into – heavy minutes faster because they're sprier and they've got less mileage on them. I don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows the answer to that. And, you know, it can go to other levels, too. It's also about, well, playing at a high level, playing at a playoff level in the NBA is about being in perfect sync with your teammates, right? We talk about peaking at the right time. We talk about momentum and rhythm and chemistry. Well, there is none of that. There's no momentum. There's no chemistry. There's no anything. These guys have barely seen each other you know, they just got back together within the last week, and they've got a few weeks to get up to speed and then jump right into these uh, seeding games, which are basically regular season games, and the playoffs will be here before you know it. Um, does that hurt or help certain teams more than others? Uh, again, I don't know. I heard, had a scout say, hey, look, I think the Milwaukee Bucks, among the teams that really matter, the Milwaukee Bucks are really uh, a team that functions at a high level based on their chemistry, based on timing, because there's so much that they do that's feeding off of Giannis. And so maybe that hurts the Bucks more than, say, you know, the Clippers, who have two stars who can create in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, plus a third player in the Williams who can, who can create quite a bit himself. The Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. You don't need to be in rhythm. You just give them the ball and go. <laughs> um, so, you know, these are all interesting theories. I don't think there is a definitive answer. What about that one theory about young players? That this is more of an AAU type format where they just go to Orlando. A lot of these players were here for tournaments and and did this for like a, a week at a time, where they're just playing four times a day and they're playing this. They're used to that because this is the type of setup they they did like a couple years ago, where a thirty year old player hasn't been in the AAU circuit for a dozen years. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, this is the other part of this, right? That when we're trying to, to um, handicap this whole thing, or or you know make our best stab at what this is all going to mean to guys playing with no fans playing with no home court advantage playing in a in a in a in this, this closed campus for weeks and potentially months depending on on what team you are and how long you can stay in this thing there's no telling how any of that impacts guys there there, there, there just isn't the solitude the being cut off from family the um potential monotony when you're not in the gym um there's just no telling how any of this affects any of these guys. 
So we're down here in South Florida, and, and Jimmy Butler seems for the last number of years been very unhappy basketball players, unhappy in Chicago, unhappy in Minnesota, and even didn't seem that happy in Philadelphia. And now he's sort of saying he's, he's sort of happy. And is Jimmy Butler the type of guy that could carry, I mean, is he someone that could maybe carry this Heat team? It's, it's just such an interesting, exciting young team. And is, he the, is, he, is this the role for him? He's finally, is you think he's finally going to be happy, I guess, and, and lead this team to maybe the NBA Finals? Well, I mean, the Bulls traded him. I don't think Jimmy was necessarily unhappy in Chicago. They just decided he wasn't the guy to build around. And then in Philadelphia, I think, you know, Jimmy had a pretty great run there and was a pretty good citizen, frankly. Uh, they moved on, or he moved on. However, you know, everybody wants to frame that. But I think Jimmy and Miami has been a seamless fit. It was the perfect landing place for him. I'm not sure there's a franchise in the NBA that that is a better fit. Like, there are a few others that I think culture-wise would have, could have made um, – could have made sense for him as well. But the Heat, given the high standards they have, the, the level of professionalism, the work ethic there, the dedication there, the expectations that they always have no matter where they are in, in, in their evolution as a team, it's always the highest standards and, and the highest level of professionalism. And I think Jimmy, for whatever other people may think about him and the way he has uh, you know, expressed himself at times, the guy is all about work and is all about winning and is all about playing at the highest level. And that has fit very well with the players that they have acquired there. They have a young group that has grown up very quickly. I think they're a really fun dark horse in the Eastern Conference. I do think that the East is more open than the, the standings would suggest. And I think Miami, the way they play and as hard as they play, and especially defensively, I, I think that they're, they're going to make some noise. You know, we talk about all these young players in the league, and I just, I mean, you mentioned the Heat, people say Tyler Hero, but they don't talk about Derek Jones Jr., Duncan Robinson, or Kendrick Nunn. And the, it's just, they're so young, and they're so, they were so, besides Hero, none of them were drafted high, and but they play with such passion, and they shoot so well. It's just like a perfect young team. And I mentioned Heat to all my friends across the country, and they're like, ah, the Heat, no, nothing like that. I think they just totally underestimate Nunn, Duncan, uh, Nunn, Robinson, Jones, and Hero. Yeah, I mean, listen, Youth does not generally win in this league, so if there's if there's a caveat I would put on my my heat hype, and I, I, look, I do I do strongly believe in them, but if there's a if there's a caveat or a potential ceiling, it's because youth doesn't generally win right away. Now, you're built around Jimmy Butler, who is a veteran and who has seen it all and is a, is a great leader, and I think you know that's a great place to start. But when you have that many young guys playing key roles in the rotation and who have not been in playoff situations, generally speaking, that means you know, you've got to take your lumps and then come back the next year and, and go a little further. The difference, though, and this is the caveat to my caveat, <laughs> is that when, when young guys wilt in the playoffs or just, just don't function at the same level, it's often because of the intensity level. Well, that intensity level, a lot of that is due to crowd noise and the intensity in the arena. not going to be the case now. Every game is a home game or every game is a road game. I don't know what it is, but it's, it, you know, it, whatever that is, it means it's a different psychology. And I do think that maybe for the young guys, it, it will be a, a little bit more inviting or a little bit more comfortable than it would be if you're playing, you know, a game seven in Boston or Milwaukee or Toronto, you know, one of these places where the, the crowd can really rattle you. 
And then the, the one heat player that's the emerging superstar is Bam Adebayo. And people would talk about Bam and say, look, he doesn't shoot threes. He's sort of the uh, old school type player. But with his, his athleticism and defensive ability and just enthusiasm and energy, just amazing. You know, he's just the perfect complement to this team. And that's why they got rid of Whiteside. But and why they're, ha- they're certainly much happier have Adebayo than Whiteside. Bam has been phenomenal. And. You know, the, the strides he's taken this year. I mean, the heat, you know, look, the Heat will tell you, hey, look, we saw this coming. He was already making these strides the last couple of years. He just didn't have as featured a role or as, as big of a role. And, but I think he, he has taken another leap this season. And I think that with him and, and Jimmy Butler together, you know, you've got, you know, you need two stars in this league right now. The two star lineups are, are, you know, those are, those come in different forms, right? Like LeBron and Anthony Davis is different than, you know, um, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, whatever. Like, you, you, there's there are different forms of, of having, but you need two stars. You you need a minimum two stars to get yourself in the contender conversation. And Jimmy, absolutely, to me, is a, a top ten, top twelve player in this league. And Bam is is moved into whatever. The, you know, I, I'm not sure I haven't made the list recently. With <laughs> top fifteen, top twenty, whatever. He's up there, and he's a versatile big man who can step out. Uh, defensively on the perimeter, maybe he's not stepping out offensively that much on the perimeter, but he's going to step out defensively. He can guard multiple positions. He's a terror defensively. Jimmy's a terror defensively. That's a great foundation to start with. And one final heat question, and we always have to go back to LeBron. And it's just like we saw the last dance, and then the ESPN did the one thing about the decision. But it's almost like LeBron. I mean, he sort of never talks about his heat days. I mean, it's sort of like when Jordan talks about the Wizards. It's never a discussion. And it's like, you know, down here in Miami, I think there's a lot of people who think, like I do, that the, the, not only the Maverick series, but even the Spurs series. Like, if he would have won those four titles, like if LeBron would have came here and gone four for four, then he would have been in that position to be challenging Jordan. And it's like, it's sort of frustration, that fact that he... That first year he was poor and then almost like he felt like he gave up that fourth year and uh, I guess you know the legacy of LeBron in Miami I know he's been the Cleveland legacy now it's the LA Laker but I feel like this was his chance to to make that step to actually equal Jordan and I, I think that's where this is where he came up short was here down in Miami I don't know I, I, I see it a little bit differently than that I mean I, I look at it as Miami is where he really grew up in a lot of ways you know he's, he's seven years in, uh, when he leaves Cleveland and, you know, there, there was, you know, a ceiling he had reached there. And then year one in Miami, you know, you guys know all the narratives that went, that, you know, went around that and the difficulties that, that he faced and, and where he came up short in the, in the finals, all that. But that's what steeled him for everything that came after. And, you know, I, I try to remember who had said this a while back, but that basically, you know, they, they, they almost needed to lose in, in, you know, year one together to win in year two. That, that's true sometimes. Um, I believe that that's that's part of, of of what his his growth process was, and we saw him really uh, evolve personally and professionally after that. And then they win the next two, and by the fourth year, that wasn't about LeBron. That was about the whole rotation, the whole roster, just just uh, you know coming apart at the seams. You know, uh, Dwayne Wade's knees all of a sudden looked like they were fifty, and you know the the supporting cast got old in a hurry, and it just started to crack around him. So I, I don't see that as an indictment of, of LeBron at that point. But the Heat is, you know, Miami is where he won his first two championships. That's where he broke through and established that I'm not only one of the all-time greats in terms of, of the way I play and the numbers I put up, but I've got the championships to back it up now. One back, you know, uh, one back-to-back two. Um, and a lot of guys never win back-to-back. And then goes on and, you know, uh, ends Cleveland's 
half century drought. <laughs> so I like I I I think he's done enough. You know, like no one's ever going to go six and zero again. We need to stop holding that up as some sort of standard. I think it's kind of silly. Okay. Well, we've been talking to Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. You can follow him on Ble- what's your the handle on Bleacher Report uh, for your your, your handle. Just- just just my name. It's pretty easy. At Howard Beck. <laughs> At Howard Beck. Howard, thanks a lot. I know you're very, very busy. Thanks a lot for coming on Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9 West Palm Beach. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good stuff there from Howard Beck. Um, so, Ira, let's talk a little bit of NBA here uh, before we wrap it up. And this is, um, I think it's going to be a really, really strange kind of season, I guess you would call it, that we're going to have here. Well, it's going to be strange, but it's also going to be this chance. I mean, I, look, the question, this first round... This for, people have to understand there's exhibition games now and then the next games are just for seeding only for really like almost every team in the East um, who cares if Washington or the Nets get mm-hmm. in or how that works out and I think but the point is it's where the Heat play and, and the Heat are sort of locked into this either for I mean the Heat are going to have a tough first round series against either the Pacers or the uh, or the Sixers and, and then the, then when they play the Bucks so it's a weird situation because I don't see the Heat moving up to the third seed no, neither do I they're three and a half behind three games behind the Celtics so they're really locked in to playing the Sixers or the Pacers, and then they play the Bucks. I think they want to play the Bucks. They beat them in the regular season twice, including once in overtime. I think they won Milwaukee. They match up well against them. And we were talking about this. Of yeah. all the teams in South Florida, I really, as someone, I think the Heat have cut, I think they're the most popular team. And I think if, oh, they, got, if they got another run, a, a LeBron-less run, a Wade-less run on this, I think this town would just, I just gonna go get crazy Giannis. over They could get Giannis in 2021. That's, that's what they're shooting for. They're going to try to contend <laughs> this year, next year, and then... See what they can do and get Giannis. Well, Ira, the biggest story of the week was Zion Williamson leaving the bubble. Yeah, I mean, he had a family matter and he left, which means that if he comes back, he has to quarantine for 10 days and, and there's an issue with negative tests when he has to take the test. So they were hoping the Pelicans would, would, would go in there and, and they scared all the games for New Orleans and I want to see New Orleans. And I was high on that team. Brandon Ingram, Drew Holiday, Zion, I love that team. And I just, it was, it's, it's sad that he's leaving. And I it just, you know, it's, I, hopefully he'll be back soon and there's a way to get the, him back to play. But I think that really takes the, you know, it's sort of sad when, when I heard mm-hmm. the news, it was shocking. You were just about out of time with your plans for this week? Well, um, there's just, I think we're going to start watching baseball. I mean, yeah. we got baseball yep. starting on Thursday and Yankees and Nats. I think that'll be great. To, you know, it's weird when you always say, What are you doing? And I'm like, Well, I'm not going anywhere. I can't, <laughs> it's a sports go, week. I can't go to any of these games. But I mean, there's <laughs> got to be the, killing But it. I do think that I do think that the, the baseball is going to be exciting to watch. I think I'm, you know, catch the golf a little bit and catch a little NASCAR, catch UFC, and you know, those things. But I do think this weekend I, I'm excited to watch a, a lot of baseball. Yep. I know we did the World uh, predictions, my World Series prediction I want to put down. So I have it on record here. I have the Braves over the Rays in six. I know it's a bold prediction. I'm not going chalk. <laughs> That's like why he wanted to Dodgers, get a prediction. Because it's I think I'm all in on the Atlanta Braves, and I really like the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't think either stuff. are going to make the playoffs, well, but he has the other record now. Harrison Bayless over here throwing out his hot <laughs> takes. We are out of time. I want to thank Howard Beck so much. Harrison, the intern. Ira, Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Iron Sports.